welcome to a brand new Coronation Overreaction. I am Greg Mahochko, and joining me is my good friend, and you screwed it up, but that's okay, because I'm not making any additions. My good friend, that part's true, and also a broadcast buddy, and that's Haas Reuter. Hello, Haas. Been a long time since I've introduced you that way, so I was off my game. I know. You were a little rusty, but we'll get you Sorry. some reps. Sorry. How, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Hey, it's a great day after a Husker dub. Hey, to quote Kevin Malone from The Office, it's just nice to win one. Right. <laughs> like, it's just nice to win one. And you were there. I was. I how, was. how was that? It was good. Sat in the new East uh, Stadium club level, uh, the new renovation they did. Um, I am not that bourgeoisie. I'm very much the proletariat, but somebody I knew had, <laughs> had tickets. And um, so it was nice. Nothing like sitting right on the 30-yard line. You know, it's like watching it on TV pretty much. Um, it was good to be back. It was my first home game since – well, November 26, 2021, I know that date because it was my birthday, 31st mm. birthday, and we lost to Iowa in the game mm. that Logan's mother's was uh, uh, starting. In charge of. Yeah, so and it was my first home game, first time since I'd been back on campus since I had finished my master's degree last uh, in May of 22. So it was good to be back, um, you know, ate at Lead Bellies before the game which, you know, the Raspberry Beret Burger, highly recommend. Raspberry Jalapeno Jelly on a Burger is phenomenal. I don't know why, but that does sound really good. It's like I was – I had the same trepidation about trying it for the first time. And then when I finally did try it, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And had some Coors Banquet beers, of course. Um, really – go I, ahead. I, no, I'll let you finish first. I was just going to say, I'm really hoping when the day comes that we sell alcohol in Memorial Stadium for football games, that they're selling the uh, the silos of Coors Banquet like they do at um, Folsom Field for concerts and Colorado Buffaloes games. I know that because I've been to a great a Dead & Company concert out there, and I've been to a Nebraska-Colorado game. I'll just say this. I'm, I'm walking through the grocery store today with my family, going down the beer aisle because I knew I only had one cold one left. Uh, I – Knew I had one cold one left before kickoff last night, and I was like, when am I going to need I was saving it for when I needed it. Uh, and then I, at the, after the game, I just forgot to drink it. So I wanted to get more beer. And you know what? I saw the Coors Banquet, kept right on walking. Oh, man. I thought about you. I thought about my buddy Haas, who, who uh, only drinks Coors Banquet for some godforsaken reason. It's a good beer. It's probably fine. It's a good beer. It's okay, maybe. It's a good beer. Y'all got stag out there? No. <laughs> All right. You, 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 you I, drink some stag. You're east of the Mississippi, remember? You got a few more uh, just options than we do out here in the hinterlands. Like Yingling. Yingling, I had to go to... Uh, I, oh, I was I, when you were in Connecticut, that's right. No, well, Yingling, I was drinking Connecticut, but I, I bought Yingling down in Louisville, Kentucky, and brought a, a case of it back uh, to Illinois with me. They skipped Illinois and distributed in Missouri, but not in Illinois, which I think is probably you know some bullshit. Mark Twain probably said this, even though he's a native Missourian. Uh, you know, the worst part about Missouri is the Missourians. Just a weird place. <laughs> we were talking a little bit about Mark Twain and Missouri before we started rolling. Columbia, Missouri. Spent a spent a night there years ago. 
not in jail or anything. I literally was no. just staying there. You know, you were there for a college visit before. No, I would never visit the University of Missouri. <laughs> but even though I was, I have a sister of mine who has a second. Her second master's degree is from Mizzou. She got her first one at UNK, and then she picked up another one at Mizzou. But it was all online, and she never went to the graduation. So uh, that, yeah. But no, like Mizzou, they still reside in a pantheon of hatred that is reserved for Iowa, Wisconsin, Texas, Oklahoma, Michigan, Ohio State, Colorado. Like they're, they are, Kansas State is another one. They mm-hmm. are up there. I despise Mizzou. I, I'm trying to figure out. So we've. Fuck them, in other words. Yes. Uh, we've played. A- Colorado a few times now. Yep. We've played Oklahoma a few times now. I wonder when we'll see Missouri back on the schedule. Yeah, we need to get them on there because I do miss playing them because right when we left the conference um, and they went to the SEC, that rivalry was on the verge of going nuclear. Right. I mean, oh, gosh. Like I was at the 2010 game when Roy Haley ran wild on Mizzou. And was that the Thursday night game? Or was no, that- no, no, no. Uh, Thursday night game was down in Columbia. Uh-huh. But I was at the game in Lincoln when Roy Haley ran wild. And the level of just vitriol between Nebraska fans and Mizzou fans, it was what you expect from, like, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, right. Alabama, Auburn. Like, you could, just t- you could just tell the teams didn't like each other. The fan bases don't like each other. The two states really don't like each other all that much, you know. And it had all the had all the makings of a really good rivalry. So, I actually have to say, I do kind of wish Mizzou would have joined the Big Ten with us, and that we would have kept this going because that I think that could have been fun. I look, I don't blame Nebraska for the conference realignment and everything because it started with Nebraska, but really. Nebraska left because Texas forced our hand. It was a volatile situation. Right. We, we're not going to get in and relitigate that whole mess. But when Missouri left the Big 12 for the SEC, and obviously that happened, I, I believe, a year after we left. Uh, I don't think it was the same offseason. But that I don't think they've played Kansas since. And Border War was – that was one of the longest-running uh, rivalry games in the country. So – uh, you know that that was disappointing. You you think that preserves you know, rivalries, right? Probably for the same reason Nebraska wishes that we could have been playing Oklahoma every year. For example, you know. Oklahoma. And now you're gonna see Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State go by the wayside too, right? Unless again they they opt to keep them on as a non-con, but uh, I guess we'll still have the Red River rivalry. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, we gotta, was, that was just instinctual. I, we got. I think we got to blur that out for YouTube. But uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's get into it. Uh, so, Nebraska, Northern Illinois, primetime game in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, Matt Rules Memorial Stadium debut. Zero and two Nebraska coming in against, uh, I believe, one and one Northern Illinois. And Nebraska took care of business, and realistically, the defense gave up three points, and I don't even really blame the defense. And it should have been – they should have finished with less than 100 total yards. You know, yeah. I don't – you know, when the when the game counted, that's, you know, when they were held under 100. So Yeah, I'm I mean, not there's mop-up time, time, you know. 
we, we could talk about mop-up time and, and exactly what happened there in the last few minutes of the game. Um, but I think I, I really just want to come out starting talking about that defense. Yeah. Um, you can tell, one, I don't think we need to worry about Tony White going and getting a coordinator job at another program. If this defensive performance holds up the way that I think it will, based off of how well coached we are, you know, and just, you know, we're prepared game in, game out, and that's a testament to the organization of the defensive coordinator. Tony White's going to be probably a head coach by the time 2025 rolls around. Um, very, I mean, we've never seen this before at Nebraska for a new defensive coordinator to come in. Well, I'll, you know, let me walk that back. Bo Pelini in 03. Okay. And right out of the gate, you know, it's better than it was in 02. But this is such a high level that jump from where they were last year to where they are this year. We are, I believe, second in the country in rushing defense at 29 yards per game. Yes, sir. And I believe Uh, 46 yards per game, 46 yards per game. We are 29th in the country in passing defense or total defense or pass defense. I looked at the stats earlier, just glanced at them real quick. So here's a, here's an odd, uh, the air force leads the country, by the way, um, with 44.3 yards per game rushing allowed. Nebraska's second at 46. Uh, Kansas State is 50. Arkansas, 55. Oregon State, 57. Ohio, 57. Not Ohio State, Ohio. Um, Bobcats. Yeah. And, and you know, Nebraska has, admittedly, uh, with the exception of Utah, who's uh, number 10, have the, the opponents have rushed the least amount Um it's it's Utah at 69, nice, uh, and Nebraska is next at 80 for um, opponents rushing attempts. So, and um, that defense, where were we on before we got into the stats? We we're the thread about um, uh, just total defense. Yeah, to- total mind blank. Wow, it's late on a Sunday, folks. Uh, uh, 29th in total defense. Yeah. Um, just that jump from last year is insane. And I liked what rule credited Chinander and Dawson and Bill Bush as being good football coaches, you know, who really helped prepare that defense last year in season, you know, to make a jump into developing into what they are this year. And then the personnel wise, I mean, Nash Hupmacher was starting to, there were starting to be questions whether he would ever get it together. And, I mean, Terrence Knighton, pot roast, has turned him into a great player in one year. So, um, And Cameron Lenhart, I think, is probably going to be one of the more legendary Huskers of all time when it's all said and done. So if these guys can continue to develop, and I'm really excited to see what they can do in a Big Ten schedule, I think that uh, I, I think there's enough there to get to six, seven wins if we, you know, play good defense and play offensive football that supplements the defense. And I mean, that's really was the hallmark of the most success, most successful Nebraska teams is you have a defense that punishes the opposition and you have an offense that, I mean, you go back. Yes. The, the, in the championship years, Nebraska was what averaging 40 something points a game, but we, if the defense is playing like this, and I'm, I know we're three games in, those stats, it, 
I'm going to give the defense a little bit of a pass because in Colorado they were on the field so damn much. Yep. You know, um, yeah. The, the passing defense is skewed largely because of the Colorado game. Mm-hmm. But I think they've given up around 50 yard. Well, let me, shit, we did the math. It was 40. <laughs> was like, let me pull, let me pull that number out. How many yards per game are, are we giving up on the ground? But uh, what, what they've done, I think at halftime they had given up. 50 at halftime yesterday that they defense had given up 52 yards or something like that. It was, it was ridiculous. One thing that I wanted to mention when you mentioned the old Nebraska teams is everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I'll go down the rabbit hole on old games on YouTube, you know, just for research purposes. Mm-hmm. One of the better performances that I've seen came in a game that we lost, unfortunately, but 1984, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and we lost 17 to seven and didn't have much offense. We had the number one defense in the country that year, but we're starting. God, I can't even remember his name. Um, I think it was like it was somebody from Scott's Bluff. I want to say like Travis Turner at quarterback. And we, we it just was not a very good offense. And you could see that T.O called the game in a way that supplemented his defense, that complemented the defense in a manner that they made plays when they needed to, but it was field position, flip the field, get a field goal, you know, and then when you can, you know, get into scoring position, you you know, you take your chance, but you don't do stupid things that are going to leave your defense out to dry, like throwing the ball three times in a row and having a quick, burning a quick possession, you know, right. going no huddle, something like that. So, I, is is this offense the 1984 caliber of offense? I, you know, it wasn't a very good offense from what I understand, but who knows, you know? And so, if we could play that kind of football, I think that we could end up at six, seven wins. And who knows? The, the Big Ten West Division is enough of a dumpster fire that it's right there up for grabs if you can get your shit together and go and take it. I mean, seriously, like that's that's what my coaching point. If I were Matt Rule, that's what my coaching point throughout the week would be: is, hey, our goals are still all out in front of us, even yep. though we started zero and two. Minnesota does not look exceptionally formidable. Formidable. I mean, they got boat raced pretty good by North Carolina. Um, we had them, you know, ten to three with a couple minutes left. I mean, we're, you know, everything was right there to take that game. And so the goals are right there. It's just, can we play the kind of football that is best for success with what we have to work with? Taking a quick look at uh, the Big Ten, specifically the West. No offense to the East. It's just they're on the other side. We care about them less. Uh, (laughs) um, On the West side, you know, Minnesota is one and only. I mean, you have one team in the West that has one conference win, and of course, it's Minnesota over Nebraska. Uh, they're two and one overall. Um, Iowa somehow undefeated, uh, and apparently they put up some points uh, this weekend. Uh, but Wisconsin's two and one, Purdue's one and two, Illinois is one and two, Northwestern, Nebraska, both one and two. Say what you want, you know, Michigan is gonna, is going to be tough on the thirtieth. I'm, I'm not discounting that. Um, I I still like our defense. I think our defense is playing well. And you know we mentioned uh, that 
rule gave credit to uh, Chenander and Bill Bush about personnel. Let's remember that last year, Tommy Hill got a little bench time in favor of Malcolm Hartsock. And what did that extra little playing time last year, you know, do for him and his development? He, yes, he gave up the uh, the score, the touchdown uh, against Minnesota. That was a hell of a route, you know, and he just got turned around. That's more of an exception than a rule. Um, but I, I I love the kid. You know, um, you mentioned Cameron Lenhart. We hope that he has a speedy recovery because he was one of a couple Huskers who got a little bit banged up. Ramir Johnson was in street clothes, I think they said at one point in the game yesterday. And then uh, the other one, I had it here, uh, Gabe Irvin, uh, you know, a little banged up as well. I, You know, it, it's my line of thinking, not to put the cart before the horse, but Louisiana Tech's coming to town. Anybody who's not – I mean, it would be nice to get guys reps, but if they're not imperative, if they need a little time to recover, sit them, yeah. you know? Well, the, the thing that scares me is Louisiana Tech's probably a better cal- – they're a better caliber of opponent than Northern Illinois. And, you know, this is definitely a game that we need to take. Like, I mean, they're all must-wins. I'm not going to state the sure. obvious too sure, much. Sure. But, like, this is definitely a dangerous kind of team that can do some damage. So, I'm just – you know, I'm really hoping that guys can – get healthy this week or that if they have to sit, that their backup's ready to go. You know, if Irvin has to sit, it's probably a good opportunity for Grant to get a good amount of carries. And, you know, speaking of Grant, you know, him getting, you know, benched for the entire Colorado game. If he, I think he's the best playmaker on the team. Okay. I, we remember Anthony Grant from last year, thousand yard rusher. Right, or close to it. Close to it. We haven't had a thousand rusher since Divino Zigbo. Thank you. But you know, before Whipple's play calling just completely went off the rails last year, and we all know how I. Yeah, I'm not even going to get started on that. Speaking Uh, of not relitigating things, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Grant is he's a dynamic playmaker, and I think he is our best player on offense. And so for him to get limited time against Minnesota because of his fumbling problem in fall camp, and then he fumbles in that game, then Rule benches his ass for the entire Colorado game and then brings him back for the Northern Illinois game. I think that speaks volume to Rule's um, standard and accountability that he expects out of players in this program because, I mean, we're a different offense when Grant's – able to get in there and, you know, shoulder the load. And I really like that one-two punch of him and Irvin. Um, I'd like us to see – I'd like to see us maybe get – what's his name? Emmett Johnson involved a little bit more, the freshman running back out of Minneapolis, redshirt freshman. Mm -hmm. But I think a nice identity emerged last night. I was thinking that during the game. The rule kind of confirmed that during the press conference of, you know, we're an option and zone option read kind of team and we really put that into Harburg's hands yesterday with you know good mix of RPOs like that first play to bit that first touchdown to Billy Kemp off mm-hmm. of a little inside zone arrow RPO um, we ran some old school Nebraska belly option 
We ran some zone read, um, some design quarterback runs. I really like the rolling him out in the flat to get the ball to the tight ends in space. Imagine that, right? I know. I, <laughs> it, I, I'm, I'm not – I want to make sure that I'm 100% clear about this. I don't think that coaches are putting one quarterback in a better position than another. But we didn't see that many rollouts – the, the, those type of play calls when Jeff Sims was back there. No, we didn't. And, you know, I'll, I'd like to attribute that to a case of we're just incorporating the real-time feedback we're getting from game reps and formulating a plan from there. That's, which I'm fine with. You, you have to evolve. It, it's not, you know, when if slash when Jeff Sim comes, Sims right. comes back and we can address that, you would imagine that more of those types of plays would be worked in. Yep. Um Again, Rule mentioned it where he said, you know, if the quarterback has to be the leading rusher, you know, that so be it. And he in fall camp, he said he didn't want his quarterback to be the leading rusher. But now, you know, he realizes what he has to work with. And he's like, okay, well, we're just going to fully embrace this. Imagine that a coaching staff that looks at what they have and goes, okay, we can work with this. Instead of how many years did we see the round peg into the square hole? Right. And so it, it's refreshing, and I think that's what sets Rule apart at the college level from other coaches and his ability to rebuild programs is he doesn't try to force it. He's not a system guy. He's not an offensive guru who's like, well, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to get in there and we're going to run my 10 personnel shotgun spread, face melter spread, and, you know, come hell or high water. No, it's, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to work with what we have. We're going to – build upon strengths and we're going to address weaknesses. I mean, it, there's no wonder why Bill Belichick is, you know, a friend of rules and thinks highly of Matt rule, because that's a very Belichick kind of thing to do where you adapt to the personnel that you have on a week to week. You're, I was going to say yearly basis, but sometimes on a week to week basis, you know? And so I liked what I saw. It's like, uh, kind of like a San Francisco 49ers offense at the college level. Oh, I thought you were gonna pull out your terrible towel. No, I'm 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 sprinkling the holy water to when you mentioned the devil's name. Hey, that Bill Belichick. <laughs> I, I was gonna say a good Catholic, but I don't know if he's Catholic. I don't, I don't, it's hard hard to say. Yeah. Um, um, no, no, like a lot of things to help a young quarterback out. Yeah, um, low motion to help ID coverage. So, I, and, I, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just finishing up. I didn't want to cut you off anymore. No, no, I I, I keep interrupting you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, sorry, I glanced <laughs> up at Miami and New England. I got that on my TV. Oh, right. okay. Um, yeah, d- didn't make costly mistakes. I don't put the turnover on Harburg, at no. Harvard. Uh, ben Hart missed a block. I know that some people on social media and message boards are saying that he should have gave the ball to Ramir. That's not the read that he got. The boundary safety, if you go back and look at the replay, he's creeping into the box to fit against the run. And he ha- Harburg sees that. That's the read. He pulls it. He tries to hit Marcus Washington on a little skinny bang eight post. And uh, obviously, Ben Hart misses his block. And uh, it's a sack fumble. But if Harburg would have been able to get the ball to Washington, it, he may have housed it from 90 yards out. He had leverage. He had a step. So I like the play call there. And that actually brings me to a point that 
A lot of people are not going to believe this, but Ben Hart is actually playing much better than last year. Wait a minute. Hold on. Are you sure? Yes. He got beat on that play. He's got a step and hinge, so he's got to close down that B gap since uh, Noli is pulling from right to left. So he's got to check that B gap for any pressure there, and then he's got to step back and hinge to his right. And was that what was his name? Ray Curtis was that that defensive end's name for Northern sure. Why not? Player, he's a good player, and so. Um, you know, it was just one of those things he got beat. But all in all, Ben Hart has played better. It's the left side of the offensive line, in my opinion, that is holding us back. Turner Corcoran, Ethan Piper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to get to Corcoran, but Piper, I think, is – That block was legit. That block was fun to watch. Uh, we, we, we don't have the video to show you, but you can – Certainly, uh, folks out there can go find it. Uh, I just, all right, what I'm about to say is going to sound exceptionally hypocritical based on my size and stature at, at, at 41 years old, six, uh, two, and uh, more pounds than I care to admit. But they had a timeout or they were coming out of a huddle or something. They had uh, Turner Corcoran's backside. And I just sat there looking. I'm like, that's a lard ass. Now I'm sure it, it is. It is built different than mine, you uh, know. Uh, but I just I'm like something. Something doesn't seem quite right there. So Turner, I apologize. This is not a personal attack. I know it sounds like a personal attack. It just for whatever reason I saw that I look. I look, I look at my TV screen. I'm like, damn. Uh, what? But uh, what what's going on on the left side of that line? Well, Turner Corcoran is not a prototypical left tackle. You know, he he doesn't have the length. He's actually kind of got I'm gonna sound like I'm you know, I'm five foot ten, so I don't have the world's longest wingspan. So I'm gonna sound like a hypocrite too, but I'm just talking measurables. He doesn't have a real long wingspan. And so edge rushers really he can't keep them at bay. They can really get inside to his chest. And um, I think he would just be a much more natural guard. And one of the things is I've noticed that he doesn't fire off the ball exceptionally well. Um, a lot of, and he doesn't really drive into block or drive into defenders to block them. He almost waits to catch them, you know, as there are a few plays in the Minnesota game. And so I think there would be an opportunity to, because he's a good enough athlete still, I think there's room to work with him. I just don't think that he needs to be isolated on the edge as the blindside left tackle, where you move him to left guard and we reinsert Teddy Prohaska into the lineup at left tackle. Um, as far as Ethan Piper is concerned, that was a great block, but there are still too many instances where – he has a missed assignment. He gives up an A-gap pressure right up the middle in passing situations, not to mention the false start penalties. That was like a hiccup burp. It was something. Um, along with the false start penalties that have cost us really probably three touch, you know, three touchdowns this year. Mm-hmm. Minnesota game on the one, his false start against Colorado when we were driving probably cost us a score there. And there was another one that I can't quite place, but I think that while he is a, while he is an experienced player, 
I think that he might benefit a little bit from um, – or the offensive line might benefit a little bit from seeing what other combinations can work. Because the right side of the offensive line has gotten better game over game. You know, Ben Scott, Noli, and Ben Hart have gotten better. One thing I've noticed when we try to run outside zone to the left – there's that a gap, left side a gap between Piper and Scott. A lot of times, Scott is having to really he he can't quite get the shit the defensive tackle in his gap the shade or the one or the two eye technique. He can't quite get to that outside shoulder because a lot of times Piper isn't even throwing a hand backside or mm. you know helping chipping and then releasing onto the next level. Um, to help him out there. So a lot of times you'll see Scott have to drive his man out towards the sideline. He got called on a holding penalty for that yesterday um, on one of our plays on a Gabe Irvin run. And so a lot of times that a gap, if you can control those a gaps, you know, you're, you're, you can get three yards, you can get four yards. It's, you know, like the, what's the quickest distance between two points, right? You know, straight, straight, line. straight line, you know? And so being secure in the a gaps, I know I wrote about that for coordination back in probably 20 summer of 17 heading into the season. Um, that's something that we need to experiment with our lineups up front to see if we can get that. I, I'm looking here, huskers.com at the roster. I mean, offensive linemen. I think what I like quite a bit about the roster is, man, I see freshman, junior, redshirt freshman, sophomore. I mean, like Teddy Prohaska is only a sophomore. Um, you know, Ben Scott's a junior. Turner Corcoran, junior. Uh, who am I missing here? Other ones are also, I don't know. Um, but I see some depth. I see a lot of inexperience, but I do think that experience will come, you know? And again, when we, we've talked about this before and, and I'm not, this is not a state secret, the offensive line and defensive line too, but the offensive line really is where you need to develop players. You can't just, it, it's unless they're a freak athlete who, you and know, you get those from time to time. We don't get them at Nebraska. Anymore, no. but, you know. <laughs> but, but you're, you're not putting a true freshman up on the offensive line and, and watching them, you know, mo yard. It's it it's the the redshirt sophomores, juniors, seniors, things like that. It's guys who are realistically twenty to twenty one years old grown who men. have grown men. Offensive line, no offense, not a young man's game. No, it's a uh, you know all the great offensive lines in the Big Ten are usually fourth year juniors, fifth year seniors, and uh, I mean Illinois. In Bielema's first year in 21, benefited from that, having yeah. older offensive linemen. And it seems like we've been among the youngest teams in college football for about a decade now, every I, year. You know? I don't disagree. Uh, I, you know, and that's, that's a tough, I'm not trying to make excuses, but that is a tough obstacle to overcome. Yeah, it when is. You're, when you're 18, 19, going up against 21, 22 year olds. Guys who look like they've been putting steering columns into F 150s, you know, for 20 years on the assembly line. I got a wife and three kids at home, and a couple of mortgages. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a D2, the Mighty Ducks. Uh, Averman's talking about Iceland. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. They have more facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That is perfect analogy right there. But, um, you know, I think that an offensive line of Teddy, 
from left to right, Teddy, Corcoran, Scott, Noli, and Benhart. I think that could be a lineup that's worth dropped a pen. Sorry. Ah, yeah. Um, I think that's a lineup that could be worth, you know, tinkering with. I also maybe would continue to rotate uh, Latovsky in there more frequently. I like what I've seen from him. And then, uh, you know, you got to start looking at, ahead to next year at some point and working guys in like Sam Sledge and Gunnar Gatula and Brock Knudsen, um, guys who probably redshirt, play their four games this year, but they'll redshirt. And um, just continue to develop that running game. Because these guys, you know, they're they're good maulers when we're running gap scheme plays. Yeah. We're I know that our outside zone is our big base, but last night we really showed that when we pull guards and get double teams on duo or power or counter, like we really are able to get some movement. Um, it's not it's not a case of being physically manhandled. Thankfully, we're not getting whipped up front physically. It's just, you know, there needs to be the, I think it's going to take some time to gel. And I'm actually excited to see what this could gel into by the end of the year. Could they get to the 2018 offensive lines level, you know, in Frost first year that gelled into a pretty decent unit by the year's end. Um, I, at this point, if it could be like 2012, 2013, 2014 under Polini and Beck, that would be phenomenal. I mean, I understand Amir Abdullah is not walking back in the door, <laughs> but uh, those guys were very serviceable. So, and then other than that, um, yeah, I mean, if we're going to go, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to alarm anybody, but if we're going to go four and eight or five and seven this year, it's much more palatable to go four and eight or or five and seven while you're developing for the future, while you're being developmental, while you're getting guys ready for next year, for the next job. I can live with that. I a completely agree. And two, the last several years, thank you. Uh, when we have been going three and nine, four and eight, you know, when we have been subpar, there has been no development for the future. It's, this is the best we got. We're throwing it out there. We're throwing the noodle against the wall and see what sticks. Um, and and there there was a significant lack over the last five years of development. So I'm in the same boat as you. I would I would be crushed if we only went four and eight because you don't get you don't get to limp into a bowl game at four and eight. No, you, know, you I can mean, limp. Five, you can, five you can, and seven. We might because right. it's, it's been quite a while since we went at five and seven. I, I don't disagree, but you, uh, you're right. Four and eight is much more palatable if there. I'm going to borrow your catchphrase. If there's incremental improvement, yeah. if there's, if the if you can look at the Minnesota game and then look at the Iowa game. Bad example. Uh, who the hell did we play before Iowa? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Okay. If you can, not because we're not going to lose Iowa, but hell if you can no. look at if you can look at Minnesota. Oh crap! We lost by three, um, and then look at Iowa or sorry, look at uh, Wisconsin, whatever the situation. And I want, I want to be able to say, and, and I'll say this: we had some penalties last night. Um, there were effort but, penalties, though. Right, there were not. The guys, um, the guys need to dial it back. I'd rather have to dial it back than you know urge somebody on. Yeah, I didn't see any. Um, you know, like there were no false starts. I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think so. 
There's just a lot of effort stuff, you know. Like holding is kind of an effort penalty. Illegal formation. Um, oh, oh NIU. That was NIU. Uh, pass interference. We had the pass interference. Sure. Um, let's see. Holding by Ben Scott. We talked about that. Some personal uh, fouls. A personal foul by Ben Scott, with which was not a good decision. Ben Scott, come on. <laughs> um. And then they had a fall. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm okay. What I wanted to see from last night's game is I didn't want to see procedure. I didn't want to see, you know, it it chatting my ass that we had to use a timeout on our first offensive play. <laughs> but it's the Scott Frost there. But we overcame. We didn't have the false starts, um, you know. And, and again, like you said, the holding, the pass interference. Those are, I suppose, more like look. They cost more than five yards, but I I'm more easily to, easy to forgive a pass interference than I would a false start because false starts all in your head. Yep, pass interference is all in your body. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It's uh, and so subjective. You know, it's false start. Control what you can control. You know, that's what it comes down to. And you know, sometimes false starts don't get called, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I also think that as we're developing uh, in that conversation about development, let's say, I don't think that we'll go for an eight or five and seven. I do think that there is enough on offense to play good complementary football. To play good complimentary football, Greg's flashing the 10 and 2. I'm not going to go that far. I appreciate but, that you did that for people who are just listening and not watching. <laughs> um, I think that there's enough on offense to play good complimentary football and get to 7 and 5. Because I, I think the defense can keep us in every single game. Um, I don't think we're going to get blown out by Michigan. Are, are we going to beat Michigan? Probably not. Oh, Greg, not in his head again. You had one job. Uh, but I do think that we'll be right there. I think we'll be competitive. I think we'll give them a game. It's not going to be like last year's game. Um, so I think, you know, seven and five, and who knows? You know, people have won the division at seven and five. I mean, the Big Ten West, it's wide open. You know, I think the only team that you could really count out is Northwestern. Is that when you say wide open, is that your way of saying it's a shit show? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean Wisconsin Wisconsin loses to Georgia Southern yesterday if Georgia Southern has Kyle Van Trees from last year. Like it's amazing for as fundamental of a football coach as Luke Fickle is, it seems like he's kind of taken a quick approach to what he's doing at Wisconsin. Whereas like it's like he took the frost approach to turn around Wisconsin, whereas Rule has taken the more Wisconsin developmental approach. And yeah. so I, I think that we are here for longevity. Um, I think we're here for longevity far beyond Colorado and Deion Sanders. I still don't think they're very good. You know, um, I think they let, let, beat three teams that aren't, you know, that they're just at more athletic than. You were 23-something point favorites against your in-state rival Colorado State, and you still needed two overtimes to beat them? 
I was going to say, are, are you being doxxed by Deion Sanders? I mean, because this didn't start until after you brought him up. I mean, is he keeping receipts on you, Greg? This is uh, – it, it, let me tell you, apparently it's personal. <laughs> um, the local man has beef with Colorado head coach. So uh, let's, let's – before we get uh, uh, disconnected again – what else do you have on your list? I know, you know, we really haven't even scratched the surface on Heinrich. Buddy, look up. Hey, what's up? <laughs> uh, I was just uh, responding to your text. Yeah. You're going to have a shit ton to edit out of this thing. I think what it's going to be is a whole lot of me just chopping it off. Yeah, fair enough. Um, no, I know that we're kind of up against it as we're coming down the pike here and, you know, your internet doesn't really want to cooperate. So the only thing that I really wanted to cover was, uh, moving forward, I would not be shocked if we started to see more triple option, um, power eye wishbone concepts in the red zone and short yardage to take advantage of Harburg because I don't think with how well Harburg played that rule can go back to Sims. Now I think that he almost has to let either Harburg succeed or play himself out of it completely because he he did something that Sims couldn't do in two games. And I think that this program, this fan base would probably riot if we went back to Sims for Louisiana tech after what we saw Heinrich Harburg do against uh, Northern Illinois. So at this point, you know, I'm excited to see what Harburg can do with another week of practice, another week of game planning and putting him into a position to succeed. And um, I think that he'll be a good weapon to have moving forward. Well, folks, you heard it there. Uh, Haas finishing up his thought in a different capacity. Uh, had to record that one on his phone, send it to us here. Uh, we apologize for all of the uh, technical difficulties uh, nobody's more frustrated uh, by it than the two of us. So thanks for bearing with us. Uh, we should be back next week, hopefully celebrating another win, another another dub, another victory for Nebraska at home at Memorial Stadium. And uh, uh, for my good buddy and broadcast partner, Haas Reuter, I'm Greg Mahochko. Go Big Red.